0: But friends, it's it's wonderful for us to, to be here. We've met several of you. Uh, thank you so much for those of you who've taken us out for meals and so on. Those who were in Sunday school class, and it's really a joy to be with you. And I must say, it's a great joy to be a servant of the Lord too. And I'm not saying you're not, but I'm just saying that those of us who have stepped out. Tom and I were at lunch yesterday, and we were just talking about how God called us and. When we, were, when we were young and we didn't know what we were doing, God laid his hand on us and we had no idea. Tom and I were just sharing last night. We had no idea what God would do in our lives. We had no idea. And that's really my message to you this morning is to align yourselves with the purposes of God and just see what God will do with you. It's really an amazing thing. So have we got a, something on the screen back here? What do I need to do to get that up there? Oh, we do. Good. Wonderful. All right. Wonderful. (laughs) I'm going to just share with you. You know, when I get called to go to speak someplace, the Holy Spirit gives me a message right away. I know exactly what I'm going to (laughs) say. With you folks, I struggled. (laughs) I prayed and prayed and prayed. And I said, Lord, what, what, If, if you, Lord Jesus, were standing right here this morning, what would you say to these dear people? And I know when I pray that prayer, often I get the same answer, just tell them I love them. <laughs> That's what the Lord wants you to hear this morning, It's how God loves you and Jesus loves you. And I want to talk a little bit about that whole thing this morning, about God's plan for the ages. And you probably heard some of these things this morning, but there'll be some things you haven't heard. So let me get into it just a little bit. Uh, I'm going to use the PowerPoint, you don't need to look up there, but if you do, some of you are, you know, hearing maybe a little bit, or foreign languages, and I've learned that using PowerPoint helps communicate very, very well. So I want you to go way back, okay, before you and I, before the creation of the world, before the creation of heaven, before the angels way back. Go, go, go as far back as you can. Go into eternity past. And, and what do you find there? The question, what existed before God created? Anything at all? Well, the only thing in existence would have been the Trinity. Just think about this now. From eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They existed before all eternity past then why did God create? And I know that some people say, well, God was lonely and he needed company. Do you believe that? Put up your hand. Don't put your hand. Did anybody believe that? I don't believe it a bit. No. He's God. God doesn't need anything at all. He doesn't need anything. You know, God is totally sufficient in and of himself. So he doesn't need, he doesn't need us to make him happy, if you know what I mean. So, wow, you got two pulpits here this morning. Did, were you planning this? <laughs> But I'd like to talk to you for just a moment about the essential character of God. When you you boil it all down and you think of these Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you know, they could not have existed together unless there was love between them. (laughs) Can you imagine living with somebody forever that you don't love? (laughs) Can you imagine that? And the other thing is light. And it's quite interesting that in the scripture, we have these two concepts of God, two scriptures, God is light. That's just a real succinct statement, isn't it? God is light. And I bet you know the other one, don't you? You know it already? God is love. Boiled down to its, <laughs> it's to, just down to its axioms, to its tiny little ingredients. Here's the very character of God. And if it wasn't love, it, it, you couldn't, I can't imagine this trinity, three people, three persons living together. And if there hadn't been purity, they couldn't have lived together. It's what every marriage, every life needs, purity and love. And on these two things, everything hangs. By light, we understand that God is pure and holy and just by love, that he's merciful and compassionate. And thank you for singing amazing grace. What amazing grace. And these two qualities define the very essence of God from all eternity past. Let's just think about this can you imagine the love that existed between God the Father and God the Son? If you want to know the essence of love, if you want to see love at its absolute supreme, like the nth degree, it's this. In John 17, Jesus talked about the love that God had for him before the world began. before there was any creation, there was this love affair going on between God the Father, and I'm sure the Spirit was in there too, but between God the Father and God his Son quite a few of your dads here and quite a few are granddads here. And, you know, when you see your son, remember the day you sort of picked him up and held him in your arms, you know? This is my son. This, this is me. It's part of me, you know? And I think of that love that God had for his son before the world began. When Jesus was on earth, God spoke to him directly from heaven. He says, you are my beloved son. You're the son that I love, you know? And all the time he was walking, among. this is God's love for his son. And then again, he said to others, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is the one I love so much. And you just can't imagine a love that was any greater. You know, Paul talks in one place, I think we might know the depths and the heights. And the, This is it. This is the highest love that was ever there. There's never been a greater love than that of the father toward his son. Now, when you love somebody intensely, you want to please them, right? Some of us here, most of us here are probably married, and when you're married to somebody that you really love, you want to please them. I know my wife longs to please me, and I too, I long to please her. You want others to know them, to love them, to respect them. My son was just in the White, House. see, I'm telling you, look, I see what I'm telling you, I'm proud, right? My son was in the White House last week. See, I want you to know, because I'm proud of my son, right? And and when you're a parent and you love somebody, you want others to know them and love them. You want to give them something of great value. Out of this intense love, God desired that his son would be loved and worshiped. That's what God wanted. You gotta understand this. And ultimately, that's why we were created. We were created to love and to worship Jesus. That's why you're created, because you're gonna be doing that for all eternity. So your time here is short. I tell my students, I say, you know, our time on earth here is just like time in the womb. You know, you aren't meant to be there forever, but you're born out into life. And, and here now is this little time that we have here is like we're, we're in, in our mother's womb and we're gonna be born out into what? Into eternal life. We're destined for eternity to worship him. At the end of time, and here's the big point, we'll be given as a bride to his beloved son. God wants to give something to his son. I don't know if you can imagine that day. (laughs) You know, wow. Can you imagine the day when we'll all be before the Lord, every tribe and nation and people and tongue, and God gives us as the gift to his son? Can you imagine that day? You are, and I am, the bride of Christ. Every single one of us here that knows Jesus as our Savior. I love this there in Revelation. We read, blessed are they who are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. You're going to be there. There's a marriage supper. We're going to have a big supper now, right? (laughs) You you wait this marriage supper. You wait this supper. Uh, This is going to be really something beautiful. And on that day, and I, I just love these verses, they will come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. And she'll sit down in the kingdom of God. What a day from the east and the west, the north and the south. He's talking about all these people all over the world coming to what? To come and to worship Jesus and to be part of his bride. Wow, wow, wow. What a day. What a day that will be. Now, some of you have been studying Daniel. I love these verses in Daniel. Daniel writes, he says, I saw Daniel 13. He says, I saw in the night vision. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Now, you know who the Son of Man is, and you know who the Ancient of Days is. So, so, Christ, Jesus, Messiah, was came and was presented before God, before the Ancient of Days. Here's what it says, and to him, that means to Jesus, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nation, and languages should serve By the way, that word could be translated worship as well. To worship him, his dominion is from everlasting dominion, which shall never pass away. So here's God now presenting to his son, you and me, and the church of all ages as a wedding present, as a love gift, Himself. What, what an idea. So we, when we study the scriptures, we learn something very interesting about how and God, why God created. Here's the verse, it's in Colossians 1:16. For by him, that's by Christ, all things were created. Everything that was created in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created. Now please notice these words. Through him. And for him. Got that? Through him and for him. What does that mean? Well, this means that Jesus was the agent of all creation. Everything that was ever made was made by him. You know, it's only been fairly recently in history that we've been able to see uh, through Hubble Telescope and others, we've been able to see the vastness of the universe, and we still can't see it all, right? But have you seen those pictures, you know? They say we could see about 6,000 stars with our naked eyes. When that Hubble telescope got up there, it showed us that we're just seeing a tiny, tiny fraction, and there are thousands and millions of galaxies out there. You know, and it goes, it blows your mind. You can't think all that far. And here, everyone, everything that was created, everything that was created was made by Jesus. Wow, everything made by him, but also everything was made for him. Everything that was made, including you, were made for him. So the whole purpose, if we want to understand God's purposes for the ages, we need to understand that we are the present of God to his son, that the whole purpose of everything going on out here is because for him, for Jesus. You got to have that in your mind. So what does this mean? God's eternal plan for the ages is born out of his intense love for his son. He wanted him to be glorified. In the order of creation, God first made the angels. They were made to glorify his son. Then we know that Satan came in. Then we two humans were made so that at the end of the age, people from every people and nation and tribe and tongue. That's that's exciting to me. I I don't know what gets you out of bed in the morning, but that one gets me out of bed. When I think of standing in that throng of people from every single people and nation, tribe, and tongue, Oh man, that, that 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 really sets my engine on fire. I like that one. Boy, that gets as as one of my friends says, that pumps up my tires. You know, that really that really gets me going. Okay, now, just think about this now. People coming. I don't know. Somebody one somebody in our mission painted this, and there're probably other parts. But this it, sort of a, an idea, of streaming out of the Americas, streaming out of Africa, streaming out of Europe, and. And the, and, and, and the Far East, you know, people coming from all the nations of the earth, coming to worship Jesus, coming to glorify him, coming to praise him, coming to lift up Jesus because God loves Jesus and God wants his son to be lifted up. Amazing. I love the little quote by John Piper, and I don't know if you all know him. You probably do. But this is what he says, missions exist because worship doesn't. <laughs> If everybody in the world worshiped Jesus, we wouldn't need admissions, would we? <laughs> but, but because worship doesn't exist, because there are parts of the world where even the name of Jesus is not named. and I'm telling you in Sunday school this morning about some of you about how we've been the first ones to go to people who have never heard about Jesus. And somebody told me as a young man, if you ever have the opportunity to be the first one to tell somebody about Jesus, take that opportunity. I've done it hundreds of times and there's a thrill. There's a thrill to be able to to talk to people and tell them the first time they never heard about Jesus. And you're able to say that name and they've never heard it before. And you tell them about his death on the cross and his resurrection and how he wants them to spend eternity with him. What a beautiful thing. Mission exists because worship doesn't. So how'd this all come about? And I'm gonna move along quite quickly here because this is probably things you already know just before he left the earth, Jesus said, make disciples in all nations. As you are going, make disciples in all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And then he added this, and this is kind of what I want to underline for you this morning. He concluded with his promise, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now that when he gave that command and and by the way in acts so somebody, somebody say you're studying acts the first couple of verses in acts it tells about what Jesus did in the 40 days while he was in her he said by the holy spirit by the holy spirit he gave commands to his disciples now you see when Jesus uttered these words going to all the world the holy spirit was speaking through him to us and that 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 message, that command just rings down through the centuries. And it's here today as much as it was when Jesus first said it. It's just, you know, and then this word, even to the end of the age, I love that. I'm going to be with you until the end of the age, not halfway, not until, you know, (laughs) 1930 or 1940 or 1950 or 60 or 70. No, I'm going to be with you until the last person on earth that comes to me, comes to me as their Savior. I'm going to be with you until then so the job isn't done. And I love this verse. And again, you know this verse. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony, got the word, to all nations, and the end will come. So again, a very important verse. We're living in the time when God's servant are sent out into the world and a great ingathering of people from north and south and east and west, even to the end of the age, and then the end will come. Now, we're in this age now called the church age. I know many of you know this. The gospel spark was united by the Holy Spirit. We descended on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people. believed. You would have thought that the disciples would get up immediately and launch out all over the world. They didn't. They didn't. Careful study of the book of Acts, and we've written something on that, on the commentary on the book of Acts. It shows us that it was at least 14 years before any missionaries went out. Can you imagine that? I mean, like Jesus sort of talked as if it was going to happen tomorrow, right? But nobody went. <laughs> and they all loved Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. We love Jerusalem. And they sat there for 14 years until finally some believers came, Jews up there in Antioch, and some of them got saved. And then Barnabas went up there and Paul. And then in Acts 13, you know what happened, don't you? The Holy Spirit spoke to the church, not to individuals. He spoke to the church. said, I want you to separate these two men Barnabas and Saul for the work, a different work. There's pastors, God bless them. There's work to do in the church. There's work to do here, but I've got another work, and I want you to separate those two, these two. There were five there meeting in that. In those. So three stay here, and two go. It's a different work. I want you to separate these men. And the first missionaries went out. Paul and his helpers took the gospel from Jerusalem, all the way to Rome, actually. He says, he talks about, I proclaimed the gospel all the way from from Jerusalem to to Illyricum, he says. That's Albania. And there he was, 1,500 miles. How did he do that? You know? And other apostles went out like Thomas to India, and the gospel went into the western world, basically. I'm going to move quickly here. The gospel smoldered in the west for centuries, but then explorers went out of the earth and traded with people. And then we have people like William Carey to India, and Adam Judson to Myanmar, Livingston to Africa, Hudson Taylor to China. And these people started, the 18 and 1900s, the gospel movements went to many parts of the world, pressing from Europe through England, and then finally into the Americas. Now we live in a rather amazing age. Here we are, 21st, you know, 2021, and we live in an amazing age. Because there are all kinds of tools and all kinds of mechanisms that God has given us in our area right now that that can enhance us. They're like loudspeakers. Today we have radios, satellites, apps. I have a son-in-law over in Germany and he makes apps for their mission in Turkey. And, you know, Muslims don't want to share the gospel very much, so they put it on an app, and they can sneak off in a corner, and one, Muslim, one Christian could share with another Muslim on an app, a Bible app telling about the gospel. The Jesus film, many of you have seen it. Wonderful. We have groups like Gospel Recordings and, oh, so many languages in the world. And we have so many things like International Christian Radio, all these things, and now even Christian TV. One of the one of the people that we discipled in Ethiopia, he's on he's on on the TV of the language that you know we struggle with to get three, four, five believers. He's on TV every week, and he reaches about four million people in their own native language. It's beautiful. All the things that God has done. So I want to ask: Is our job done? Can we sit down and? <laughs> you know, fold our arms and say, well, that was nice. You know, that was great. We had a great couple centuries here. We're doing really good. Can we do that? And We have to answer that with an emphatic no. It's not done. We know that for sure because Jesus promised to come when we got that job done and he hasn't returned yet. Think about that. If it was done, he'd be here, right? But he's not here. He said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached through all the, and then the end will come. Well, it's not here yet, Right? So we know that for sure. He said, this gospel shall be preached as a testimony to all nations and then the other. That means there are still people groups around the world that have yet to hear the gospel, even in our age, even in our age, because we're closer to the end of the age than ever before. The task is all the more urgent. I mean, we really are, you know. When you see a race, and, uh, you know, these runners in these long marathons and all that sort of thing, you know, they plod along, you know, the beginning of the race. But when it comes toward the end, what do they do? Well, it begins to speed up, doesn't it? And that's where we are in history. But instead of us, you know, losing our momentum, this is the time when we, we need to really be putting on the gas and, and really going for all we're worth to get the job done. There are still literally millions of people who are living and dying without ever hearing about Jesus as the savior of the world. And that breaks my heart when I think about it. You know, it really does. There are many attempts to quantify this, you know, to try to put it down and say, what is our job done? What do do we have to do yet? Probably many of you have heard about projects like the Joshua Project. Have you ever heard about that? They identify 17,400 groups of people around the world. They call them people groups, and they've identified these all over the world. And as they talk about this, they talk about these groups as being a group of human beings or individuals, distinguished ethno-linguistically, in other words, they speak the same language, uniqueness, they have their own culture, and sharing a common self-identity, okay? And that's a people group. And they talk about all these groups. And then, and then they give us, they said there's still an estimated 7,300 of these people groups are yet unreached. So, so folks, any, any idea that the job is all done is just not so. I mean, there's a lot to do out there. That makes up 3.8 billion people, almost 40%, almost half of the earth, that has yet to hear the gospel in a way that they understand. Another indicator is Bible translation, and I'm not going to give you too many statistics, but just hear this one. Another one of the remaining tasks is is the scriptures. For us who have grown up with the scriptures, this may not seem important, but how can people really know the word of God if it's not available in their language? Linguists estimate that there are about, and probably a little bit more, 7,000 languages in our world, okay, 7,000. By the way, have any of you ever been to the Museum of the Bible, or the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C.? Have you been there? Okay, some of you have been there? really amazing. When you walk in there, you see all these Bible translations, and the ones in all the languages that have been translated. The people I went to, we eventually got the Bible translated into their language, and I found it. There it is, you know, groggy. (laughs) And, And there's the language. But then on the other wall, there are all these blank books over there with no language names on them, just the name of the language. And it's shocking when you see it. Let me break it down for you. About 10% of the languages of the world have both Old and New Testaments, okay, like we do. We have many copies, okay? (laughs) Then another 22% have at least the New Testament, all right, together. Then there are Bible portions, like people have bits and pieces of it, in another 28%. But look at this. Over 51%, over half the languages in the world have yet no Scripture, now, that, that may not hit you. <laughs> that may not hit you. But I, I remember one, when, one night I was preaching in Burkina Faso. The word Burkina Faso is? the capital of the country is Ouagadougou. Can you say that one? Ouagadougou. is pretty good. <laughs> and I, I was preaching not in Ouagadougou, but a little village. And the lights were out. I was preaching away. And I was preaching actually from the book of Ezekiel. And then suddenly the lights went on. And I said, oh, would everybody please turn to uh, Ezekiel chapter whatever I was preaching on. And nothing happened. I said, oh, please turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel, I think it was 34. Please turn your Bibles to Ezekiel 34. And nothing happened. And suddenly I realized they don't have any Ezekiel 34. They don't have it. And I remember walking into a missions conference one place and, and missionaries were put putting stuff on the bullet board. And there was this one board up there and it had John three sixteen in this language and I didn't know the name of it. It had quotations on the front and, and quotations at the and there was nothing in the middle. And I went running over to the Wycliffe guy and said, You forgot to put the words in there, you Because know, I and he said, There aren't any words. We, 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 don't, you know, you, we don't appreciate that here. We have the Bible all around us, and I don't know how many versions you have. i probably got about 10, at least 10. And then I'm on computer, and i got all the ones I And so here's these tremendous gaps yet. And yet, if I'm really honest, in our country, here in America, or I'd say Canada, New Zealand, Australia as well, England, Western world, Europe for sure, mission fatigue has set in. We've sort of said, Well, I've heard that before. You know, I've done that before. And if you look around and you really try and understand, and I don't know nothing about your church, so I'm going to say anything about you guys, okay? I don't know anything about you. But you know, usually when we were missionaries and we came back from overseas, we were invited to speak to the congregation. These days, you're lucky to get 10 minutes. Am I right, you reps? You're really lucky to get 10 minutes. And, and then we used to have mission conferences. These go all week long, you know. And now, you know, well, maybe, you know, a little bit. And, and there used to be fundraisers. I don't know if any of you saw these. But we used, to have, we used to have pledges. Remember pledges? Wow. And there would be a graph here, you know. And this guy would say, okay, I'll give $50 a month. And this guy, I'll give 100 a month. Where is all that today? It's gone. Here, in our side. Not on the other side. But here in our world. And so this mission fatigue is set in. We need to overcome that. Much has been done. Much has been done. Thank God for all that's been done. Many nations are coming to us. We praise God for that. But we must still send and support and reach the unreached. Jesus said, you have Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. One of the famous uh, pastors we have in West Africa is called Panya Baba. He was a great missions man. He said, no church is a real church until they are sending missionaries to the end of the earth. Wow. Wow. I know you've done it. You've sent Tom. God bless you. We have a responsibility to our own neighbors and communities. We also see the gospel going to the far corners of the world. And may I say, I think this, I think this needs a corrective. You know, it was, it used to be that the whole mission thing was about sending send your people far away. Right? That was there. And then we said, no, you got all these neighbors, you got to send them here, you know? And that was a corrective, that's good. But you know what? The pendulum needs to be balanced on both sides, doesn't it? We still need to do both. It's still incumbent on us. There are dozens of missionary movements sprouting all over the world, the non-Western world, but there's no excuse for us to to quit. And there are, there's some wonderful things going on in the world. I don't know if you can see the picture here clearly, but this is a picture of the Chinese. (laughs) You know, Chinese amazing group of people, they probably will become the dominant nation on earth in the next stage, probably, we're, we're, we're going down, they're, they're, they're going up, And there are, there are millions of these people, nobody knows for sure, nobody knows for sure. In 1949, when China closed down, Western missionaries were kicked, there were about a million Christians there, now they estimate, and nobody knows who counts. 250 million Chinese that know the Lord Jesus. And they are the dominant race. And if you know what's going on in China right now, they're building these roads and highways and you know, taking up, taking up uh, various uh, places like Djibouti and places in, in Bombasa and places down in, in Pakistan. And th- their idea is to build this belt and road that will go all over the world. Guess who's gonna go down that world? <laughs> Chinese are gonna go down that road. Back in the 1940s, there was, a, there was a, a man by the name of Pastor Ma, M-A, and he was a China Inland Mission, OMF missionary, uh, worked with him, and he used to get a map and set it down in front of him on his knees, and as he prayed, he would pray for the nations of the world. And in the book, Back to Jerusalem, he tells a story, or they tell his story, of how one day God spoke to him and said, you know, it's time now for the Chinese to become missionaries. And it's time for you to take the gospel. Look, the gospel has gone. It's gone west, 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 west. It started in Jerusalem, went up into Turkey, went up into Europe, went across into England, came over into the U.S., you know, and America is now where we are. And now now the clock is moving. It's time for you Chinese to take up the gospel, and we want, I want you to, as the Lord speaking to him, I want you to take the gospel all the way back to Jerusalem. Wow. And so together with other Chinese there, he decided, and they began in the Henan province, they began to talk about this back to Jerusalem idea. They found seven people who would go, and these people walked all the way across China. I mean, thousands of kilometers. You have no idea how big China is. Massive. And they got the Kashgar way over there on the, on the west side, and they were all arrested. Every one of them put in prison, all seven of them, and they were in prison for 33 years. After 33 years, all of them had died except one man. And finally, they pushed him out the door, and he made a little hut outside the prison. There he didn't know where to go. And somebody came along and said, "Where are you going?" He said I'm going to Jerusalem." <laughs> <laughs> and they said, no, 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 you need to go back to your to your village way back there in, in central part of China. He said, I'm not going back. I'm going to Jerusalem, you know. <laughs> and finally his sister found him and she convinced him to go back to Henan province. And he stood in front of the congregation there. He told us, he said, we set out many years ago to go to, to, to Jerusalem. Well, people were moved and 36 people said, We'll go. And so they started out, 36 of them, and they got all the way over to the west side of of China again. And this time of the 36, 33 were arrested. Couldn't go. And so the news came back to their church. 33 of the 36 have been arrested. And the church is going, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Three got through. You know, I mean, this is is the way. (laughs) You you know what I'm saying? Well, the Chinese churches are, are being mobilized by this, and it's thrilling to see what they're doing and their plans. I was in Nigeria, and uh, I was talking to the believers there about these ideas, and they said, well, you know what? When those Chinese get to Jerusalem, they're planning to meet Jesus when he comes from the top of Mount Olives, and when he comes, we're going to be on the top of Mount Olives, and we're going to greet him. And the Nigerian says, we're going to be there too and we're going to send missionaries across North Africa, and we're going to have our missionaries. Let me just flash this up here on the board. You get a little bit of an idea of what we're talking about here. China, all the way back to Jerusalem. Amazing. Through all these Stan countries, you know, Pakistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, India. So they said, we're going to hit the Buddhist world, and we're going to hit the Islamic world, and we're going to hit the Hindu world. They said, you you Westerners, when you do missions, you do it like elephants. Boom, boom. Schools, you know, hospitals, but but, but we Chinese we're, we're like the we're like termites, and we go into the foundations until until they collapse. You know, this is their idea, and so I was in um, I, I was in I, I was in Nigeria, not too long after that I was over in the um, Philippines, and I was teaching in a school over there, and I sat down at the lunch table, and this very smart looking. A uh, Chinese lady sat beside me. So I kind of leaned over and I said, do you speak English? She said, yes, I'm a PhD student here. I said, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I said, have you heard about the back to Jerusalem? She looked at me. How do you know about this? I said, well, we know. We study missions. We know what's going on in the world. And she said, I am one of them. I am one of them. I was so excited. I went back to my room and I emailed my Nigerian friends. so I just come there and I said, I met a lady and she's one of those people. I put a CC on there and I sent one to Ethiopia. And she says that their people, Chinese, are gonna be in Jerusalem. When Jesus comes back from heaven, they're gonna welcome him on the top of Mount of Olives. And my friends in Ethiopia, he wrote back to me right away. He said, you tell that Chinese lady, we're gonna be there too. Do you see what's happening, friends? All throughout the world, there is this movement and the, the interest and the concern in world missions right around the world is rising at, at a rapid rate. Uh, uh, Tom here can tell you about Kameban and what they're doing from Latin America, but the Koreans and more and more and more. I'm hearing about people going out from Mongolia now, from Ethiopia, the land I went to. You know, there's over 140 people who've gone out there as missionaries, sent by their churches just like you. And they're not sent right there. They're sent to Pakistan and to China and to Bangladesh and Nigeria. And from all over the world, we see this movement rising up all throughout the world. It is absolutely thrilling to see what God is doing. Just absolutely thrilling. One day, I was traveling from India to go up into Nepal, Somebody told me they'd served in Nepal. Who oh, was that? was you, brother. Well, I was at this little town called Badagunj. <laughs> you probably know where it is. And I had come from Roxol on the India side, and I was trying to get up into Kathmandu. And I was supposed to go to Badagunj, and there was supposed to be an airplane, a little airplane come and get me and take me up there. Well, the airplane was late, and uh, so I went outside, and I'm looking around the airport place out there on the road, and I see a man very much like this man. This is not him, but very much like this guy. He was dressed in this saffron robe. He had a staff, a little bag over his shoulder. But he looked like a pretty bright guy. And I went over to talk to him. I said, sir, do you speak any English? He said, yes, I do. I speak English, good. I said, uh, where are you going? He says, I'm going to Lhasa, Tibet. You're what, where are you going? Lhasa, Tibet. I've been to Lhasa, Tibet. I know where that is. I said, oh, uh, are you waiting for the plane? Uh, Oh, no, sir, I don't go on the airplane. Are you waiting for the bus? Oh, no, 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 sir, I I don't go on the bus. Well, how do you go? I walk. I said, what? I said, you're some kind of a guy and you're going to Lhasa Tibet? I said, what do you do? He said, oh, I'm, I'm a missionary. I said, oh, Jehovah's Witness? "No." Mormon? No. What are you? He said, I'm a Christian. He said, I believe that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose again the third day, and that if we believe in him, we'll have eternal life. I said, this is amazing. You're going to walk from here? to... Lo- I said, do you have any idea how far that is? Do you have any idea where you have to go? Do so you go through Nepal and you walk across the foot of the, of, of, of the, of the Himalayas? You, you pass right underneath Mount Everest? and you walk up into the highlands. Let me me show you a picture. You walk up into the highlands, way up in the highlands up there, and through snow and cold, and you're gonna walk there to tell him the gospel? He says, yeah. I said, I've never met anybody like you. Where did you come from? He said, I come from Chennai. That's 900 miles that way. How did you get here? I walked. I said, please tell me, sir, how do you do this? What are you? He said, well, he pulled his pocket. And he pulled out this picture of a very smart-looking Indian man. And he said, you see this man? I said, yeah. He said, well, he's an engineer. And he got put in prison and then he prayed and he said, Lord, if you deliver me, I will spend the rest of my life telling people about you. And he put the picture down inside his pocket and he said, that's me. I said, how long you been doing this? He said, 15 years. I said, so you're going to Tibet, where else have you? Oh, I've been over in Afghanistan, you know, around this whole Kush area I've been there. I tried to figure out about how far that guy has walked for the gospel. And I would say it's between 12 and 15,000 miles. I said, what do you do? He said, I wake up in the morning and I say, Lord, somebody today that I meet has never heard about you. And I want to tell them about Jesus. So Lord, I'll just start walking. And if I see somebody out in the field or working at a store or wherever I am, I'll, I'll just walk over to them and I'll start telling them about you. If they listen, they listen. If they don't listen, they don't. If they feed me, they feed me. If they give me a place to stay. Fifteen years. Wow. Well, about that time, my airplane came in, <laughs> and I am flying between Budagunj and Kathmandu, and I'm looking down through the window, and I'm seeing those Himalayan mountains like this, the rocks and the rivers. And I'm thinking, that guy's gonna walk through this? Who's the missionary around here? (laughs) I'm flying over, he's gonna walk down there, taking the gospel, taking the gospel. Incredible what some of these people are doing out there right now. Well, we sort of, you know, we're getting cold and fuzzy, but these people are on the ball and they're out there doing the work for the Lord, amazing. One of the first people I ever, boy, I was pretty skinny then, wasn't I? <laughs> when I was a young missionary, I went to the country of Ethiopia. And one of the first men, people I ever met to the Lord was this guy. He was, he was I, I was sitting down on a path and he came walking along with his horse, got down on his horse, gave her greeted me. And do you remember that part in the Bible where Jesus met somebody It says, and he, he met this man and it says, and Jesus loved him. You remember that part? That love of God was in me for him. And I walked over to him, put out my hand, I greeted him, I said, Sir, do you have any idea how much God loves you? He looked at me and said, How do you know me? I said, I don't know you, I've never met you before. He said, well, let me tell you, you started a little school here and you have children. I have two children in this school. And at night when they come home, I sit them down and say, what did they teach you today? What did they teach you? And they said, those children have taught me about Jesus and I have come to believe in him. Wow, <laughs> I didn't even you know, preach or take up an offering or nothing and hear this guy believe, you know, first guy. So anyway, he and I became close friends and we traveled many, many miles together sharing the gospel there, you see him there, dear Nurka, wonderful, wonderful man. He's carrying my bedroll. We're going off to some village that has never heard about Jesus before. And we're going out there to tell him about Jesus. What a faithful man he was, a great witness. He witnessed everybody. Well, that was probably in about 1974, 75, back in there. And many years later, (laughs) I was in Ethiopia. And I was on an airplane, Emirate Airlines, flying to Dubai. You know anything about Dubai? Amazing city. I mean, this is one of the fastest growing cities in the world. Um, there are thousands of Filipinos who work in that city. There are 100,000 Ethiopians who live around that city and work in the trades and so on. In fact, I got a call just a couple weeks ago from a lady. She says she wants me to talk to her Bible school in Dubai on, 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 on Zoom. So I'm going to be doing that. Next month is to talk to Ethiopians in Dubai, okay? And so when we get on Emirates, my wife and I, we always pick seats on the aisle here. I sit this side, she sits on that aisle. You can get out easier. We like that better. So that means there's always going to be somebody next to you, right, on the airplane. <laughs> so we always pray and say, Lord, put somebody there that we can talk to, somebody that we can befriend, and so on. So I'm sitting there in the airplane watching the passengers come on, and here comes this dark faced guy in baseball cap on, tennis shoes. And he comes he says, oh, that's my seat. So I let him in. He sat down and we asked him, I said, uh, where are you going? He said, I'm going to Dubai, Ethiopia, from, from Ethiopia. As soon as he spoke, I knew he was an Ethiopian because I know their accent. So I said, are you an Ethiopian? Oh, yes. I said, why are you going to Dubai? And he said, I'm a missionary. I said, come on, you're, a mission- you're, you're from Ethiopia? And you're going to Dubai? Yeah, yeah, he said, about five years ago, the Lord called me and he said, I've gone to Dubai and I've got a little church going over there, about 20, 30 people over there. And I go over there and preach the gospel to the the people in Dubai. I said, that's really interesting. I said, you know, I'm a missionary too. And he looks at me. He says, you're not Dr. Howie, are you? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am. How, how, do, I know, how do you know me? He said, do you know Nurka, the first person you led to the Lord in Garagi? I said, yeah. He said, I'm his son. And when I was a little boy, you came to my house, and I heard the gospel first from you. And now God's made him a missionary to Dubai. Now, what what, what, what I'm telling you, I I want you to see this. This isn't just what Emerging Missions is doing. This is what God is doing in our age. This is what God is doing. And from all over the world, God is raising up an army, a band of people who, who are bringing in this last great harvest of souls. Friends in America, we do not want to miss out on this. This is God's time. This is what God's doing now. And we don't need to back away from this and say, oh yeah, okay, you got it, you know. No, 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 no. Now's the time to jump in. In our time, God is calling the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. It is not the time to hold back. Why should Christ, oh, this touches me. Why should Christ have suffered for the sins of the whole world, and yet there are many people that don't know him? that grieves me. His blood was shed for them. It grieves me. And they don't know about it. Let us make sure that on that final day, there's a worthy bride prepared for Christ that God will present to his beloved son. This is what it says in Psalm 2. Those of you in Sunday school class, I spoke of it. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. And the uttermost part of the earth is your possession. Now, that's what God the Father said to the son. But then Jesus took it up again and he said, now you go. And God has given the uttermost part of the earth, the uttermost, the last place on earth. God has given that to his son to be in that wonderful group of people, the bride of Christ. Align yourself with the purposes of God and you will fulfill your destiny. Now, here's God's eternal purposes. And I'm not saying this morning that everybody needs to be a missionary, but I believe that everybody should be involved in missions. Everyone, everyone. I find the young people, they're the ones that often God lays his hand on them and says, you go. I find that middle-aged people, you know, they're the ones that have the money now (laughs) and they can support. And I find that the older people, they're the ones that can pray. But all of us together, the church of Christ needs to be involved in this final great harvest of souls that God is bringing into himself. What can we do? Well, ask God. You know, ask of me. Lord, how could I be involved? I don't know. (laughs) I, I, I can't tell you, but God can tell you. That's what God said to his own son. He said, you ask me and I'll give them to you. Well, if God's son can ask it, why can't you? You're a son of God as well. Ask of me. So ask God. Ask God to lay a people group or a missionary on your heart that you can be in contact with and pray for. They need that to really have somebody standing behind them to, 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 to a people group. Uh, uh, sometimes I go to churches and I, and I tell them, look, put a map on the wall. I look at the people groups of the world and pick one, just one, and follow that group and pray for them. I'm sure many of these, you know, like Joshua Project and others, they have these unreached people groups. We used to have something called Ethnologue. And get a hold of that and find a people group of the world that you don't know anything about and pray for them and study them support a missionary. I'll bet you some of you are. Raise it. <laughs> You're giving 50, give 75. you give giving 75, give 100, you know? And with your church, look at your mission budget again and say, can we be doing something more for the kingdom of God than we are already? I'll bet this church, I have no idea what you do in missions, but I'll bet you have a good mission budget. Raise it and get involved. And here's one I really like. Think about supporting an emerging world missionary. Now, these are people going out all over the world. I track Ethiopian missionaries, and I track them all over the world and what they're doing, and I have these letters, and they tell you oh, these guys get about five or $600 a month, if that. And they work in hard places, in the ends of the earth kind of places. And, and, and find, find one of those missionaries and get behind them. So you don't know who they are, ask your reps, ask me, we'll get you in contact with some of them. People out there serving at the ends of the earth, wonderful idea. Sincerely ask God, really, I really, really mean this. You need to ask God, could you use my life in some part of the world to advance your kingdom? Could you use me? And then I like this as well. Whatever he says to you, (laughs) do it. You know, God's work, God leads us through open doors and closed doors. Take one step. Just take one step for him. What, what's God? to say, okay, Lord, I will, I will do the first thing. And then finally, what I want to say to you, you take the first step and God will open the door. God will If he wants you to go, listen, it's really easy for God to close the door. Very easy. You'll be sick. Something doesn't work that way. It's easy for God to close the door. But God can also open doors. And he said to the church, remember Philadelphia, I set before you, what? An open door. You you take that first step, walk into that. you, You don't see around the corner. All you know is a first step. Lord, I'll dedicate my life to you. I'll take my first step. I'll say, Lord, use me however you want. That's the first step. And then there will be later as they follow. And as you take those steps, God will lead you into the things that fulfill the eternal purposes of God. Lord, I'd like to thank you for this lesson today, and Lord, I realize that some of these things we've said have been heard many times before. I realize, Lord, these are dear, dear people that know you and love you, but Lord, don't let us get stalled. Don't let us get stopped, Lord, we pray. Renew us, renew me. Friends, I just want you to pray this short prayer. Lord, renew my love for you and my love for the world. Lord, renew my love for you and my love for the world. In Jesus' name.